you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here, being a part of the grand show. Almost going on 15 years in September, uh, over 1,400 episodes on our way to 1,500. What more greatness can we bring to you two to three times a weekday and 10 to 15 times a week? Uh, you know, there's so much plethora of stuff that we're doing, and uh, we just started reposting stuff on TikTok. So uh, give us a follow over there. We found an AI that's so amazing. Artificial intelligence is going to be so amazing, and we just found a way that it can cut up the massive amounts of shows that we have, reformat them in a top-to-bottom format for TikTok. And I'm just so excited about it. So we're posting stuff over there. So please go over there and give us some love because we need more smart data and stuff on uh, TikTok. Have you seen it lately? It needs some help. But uh, it's, it's a lot of fun over there too as well. Uh, anyway, guys, as always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Uh, Goodreads.com, Fortune's Chris Voss. YouTube.com, Fortune's Chris Voss. And LinkedIn.com, Fortune's Chris Voss. Subscribe to that big old uh, LinkedIn newsletter. That thing is killing it over there. We love it. We have an amazing author and gentleman on the show. He is both. He's not, you know, sometimes we just have amazing authors, and then sometimes we have gentlemen on the show. But today we have a gentleman who has both things going for him. I don't know, you know. I mean, when the women come on the show, they can't be gentlemen, right? So see how that, see what I did there? Anyway, they're like, that joke doesn't fly, Chris. Knock it off. Uh, <laughs> some, some jokes kill people, some jokes die, and sometimes they're funny if they die and they kill. Uh, he is the author of the new book that just came out <laughs> February 21st, 2023. The book is entitled Soil and Spirit, Seeds of Purpose, nature's insight and the deep work of transformational change and i think you're really going to enjoy this experience because i like the uh i like the imagery and the analogy that he's using here in his book on how to improve yourself and your life uh ian c williams joins us today he is a best-selling author speaker and business advisor devoted to personal and planetary well-being at the age of 24 a single mystical experience transformed his life forever we're going to find out what that means now he speaks and teaches about personal and spiritual development internationally he also founded still point insight a social enterprise that helps mission-driven organizations scale solutions to global challenges he's a gifted speaker and process uh, facilitator who leverages a background in education and regenerative design to generate simple solutions for complex challenges. He has a master of public affairs with an emphasis in leadership strategy, my favorite subject, and organizational culture from the University of Minnesota Humphrey School of Public Affairs. He joins us now. Welcome, Ian, to the show. Much appreciated. Thanks for the opportunity. There you go. And uh, Ian, there's a picture of you on your bio that you sent me uh, that has you with very short hair. So you've changed quite a bit. You've got the, you've got the long hair now. You've got uh, kind of the earthy look more going on. 
Yeah, I may have had it pulled back. It's been a long time since I've had short oh, hair. Oh, is that what it was? There you go. There you go. I missed the days when I had long hair. So welcome to the show. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, reviveyouandi.com. It's the word revive, the letter U, A-N-D-I.com, or stillpointinsight.com. There you go. So what motivated you to write this book? Honestly, you know, the answer to this question is always the same. It was other people. Um, you know, it, it all started with that mystical experience at the age of 24, which led to a deep journey inward, right, mm -hmm. into the soils of self, as sometimes I say. And as I just began sharing that process and the insights that I'd learned and the self-awareness that, that came with that journey, I just had a number of people um, over a number of years say, you know, where did you learn this? And when I told them it all just kind of came from inside, they said, you got to start teaching this. You got to share it. You got to tell people, um, put it in a message. So I think the book was a long time in the making. Uh, it started in, you know, different ways long before the book. But ultimately, it was like, I, I need to put together this kind of manifesto because it's really the bedrock of all of my work personally and professionally. There you go. Uh, so uh, why did you title it Soil and Spirit, Seeds of Purpose, Nature's Insight, and Deep Work for Transmis uh, Transformational Change? Uh, give us a 30,000 overview of what's in the book, please. The idea of soil and spirit is really that there is, of course, it's kind of a double entendre, right? There's mm -hmm. a soil, there's a substrate to the spiritual process. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to speak to that, right? Try and get down to the core of it all. So it's very non-dogmatic, but it's very direct. And of course, it's also a direct nod to nature and the natural world, right? Oh. So nature is used as this touchstone and this teacher um, and analogy throughout because ultimately that's where a lot of these insights, I mean, all of these insights come from, right? We come from the natural world, we will return to it. Mm -hmm. And that's the backdrop. Right. And that's probably, well, you know, some people are now saying that artificial intelligence may be the next greatest existential threat, right? Even greater than climate change. But uh, the bottom line is we've got, we've got big challenges and, and therefore big opportunities. So that's really soil and spirit. But the subtitle Seeds of Purpose, Nature's Insight, the deep work of transformational change really gets into uh, the content of the book itself, right? I'm just mm -hmm. trying to connect people with opportunities to discover, uncover, design their own purpose. Mm -hmm. understand how that fits into the natural world at large, not just the environment, but also like social landscape mm -hmm. in order to lead to that transformational change, right? Hey, so hey. we want to change the world. We need to change ourselves. That uh, cliche, but eternally um, relevant truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's my attempt at offering that message uh, with my own twist on it. But Really, it's, it's just designed to connect people with themselves so that they can go out into the world and be effective agents of change. There you go. And using that soil and spirit sort of analogy, we'll get into some of the details here in a bit, uh, uh, really helps kind of paint a good picture. And then, of course, realizing we're natural beings. I think something, I think sometimes we get the uh, feeling of immortalization where we think we're kind of above it all and we're kind of really not last time i checked because as you mentioned we do return to the soil body-wise uh the, you know people believe all sorts of things about what happens after but you know technically your body does stay here last time i checked uh, i haven't i haven't seen any i haven't seen anybody rising out of graves yet but there's still time you know the zombie apocalypse and all that <laughs> uh so uh tell us your origin story there's this mystical uh experience you had when you were young uh lead us through your journey how did you get here yeah so it's it's a little bit um it's got two parts and i'll start with a little bit of context one is that i've got a history of 12 years of substance use hmm. um, i'm coming up on eight years sober now but 
Congratulations. It thank you very much. It happened during that 12 year period, probably about 10 years in. And um, along the road, I was, you know, grappling with personal development and really trying to get out of substance use, but having a hard time doing so. And so I adopted a dog along the way because huh. I thought that it would be an opportunity to, uh, you know, teach myself some responsibility, right? If I could take care of this other animal, then maybe I could learn to take care of myself. And Your own animal. Yep. She, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. she, she kind of, you know, she fell into our lap. I was living with some guys in college and um, we just kind of inherited her over the summer and, and then our lease was up and it was who's going to take her. So I took her. Mm -hmm. Uh, fast forward five or six years that she was in our lives and it was intimate and intense uh, and wonderful and challenging and, and at times really painful. Mm -hmm. um, she came from a checkered past and obviously I was in the midst of my own checkered past. And so we had some troubles, you know, a lot of dog fights, a lot of people bites. Um, oh. And ultimately it got to the point where I realized this can't continue from a quality of life standpoint, you know, as a family, we had done everything we knew how to do. You know, I grew up in a dog family mm -hmm. um, to try and help her out mm -hmm. and it just wasn't changing. Um, as I look back on it now, I think that's probably in large part because I wasn't changing, but huh? point being, um, we had to take her to the vet and put her down early, you know, oh, and wow. let her go. so she's mm -hmm. probably only six or seven at the time. Mm -hmm. And, as traumatic as that is for anybody who's owned a pet before, right? They'll mm. know that there's this period in the home where it's still a bit odd that they're not around, right? Mm. Cause you're, you're so used to them being their energy, being in the house every day. And so it was just a couple of days after we went to the vet for the last time with her and I was laying in bed awake and I was staring at the ceiling and I was thinking about some of the dreams that I'd been having. And I felt her nudge the door open and I felt her walk into the room and then she hopped up on the bed next to me mm. and she was standing right next to my head and I could see her and I could hear her, but she didn't make an imprint on the mattress. Oh. And she curled up and she let out that patented sigh that she did every night that said, it's time to go to bed. And I mm -hmm. rolled over to face her and I fell asleep. Oh. And I woke up the next morning and I was journaling about the experience as if it were a dream because mm -hmm. I thought it was a dream. Mm -hmm. And it was in the midst of that writing where I realized I was awake when that happened. Wow. And it was this totally transformational experience, right? I mean, it was totally beyond anything that I could comprehend logically mm -hmm. completely mm -hmm. outside the realm of anything that i'd experienced spiritually mm -hmm. um, and it was a real it was a real uh change in trajectory mm -hmm. there you go there you go and did that help you uh, uh reach a point where you wanted to uh, get off of your addiction and, and things that you were doing it was the beginning of the end there you go you know, i knew at that point that like emotional vulnerability just comes with that type of traumatic experience. Yeah. And I, it was part of what taught me if I'm going to really figure out this addiction stuff, I need to learn how to embrace that emotional vulnerability because yeah. I'm using substances to mask my emotional discomfort. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that started a familiarization process where I really started to lean into that emotional vulnerability mm -hmm. and process at a deeper level why am I using asking those kind of existential questions about, you know, self and mm -hmm. the nature of life and what I want to do with my life. And that ultimately led to my sobriety, which came a couple of years later. There you go. You know, it, it's a journey. It's a pathway. Um, but sometimes it's those cathartic moments in life that are deeply challenging and, 
you know, some many times they force us to grow. I mean, we really don't want to grow, usually through cathartic stuff. I, like, I really don't want to experience, you know, some sort of thing that's going to force me to change. But uh, sometimes we need these moments in life to uh, become something better, or recognize things inside of ourselves. And so uh, it sounds like you kind of cross that, uh, that uh, paradigm there and uh, the, the threshold where you... Uh, where you, uh, you know, started your journey on, on doing more work and self-healing. Um, you know, it, dogs are wonderful beings, very challenging, and, and my dogs made me a better human being. Well, I don't know if I've gotten worse. I might have gotten worse, but uh, I think I'm a better human being overall. <laughs> I think I'm better than I probably would have been if it hadn't been for my dogs. So uh, let's get into some of the details of the of the book here. There's several analogies to use that I, I really like. I think analogy is the proper word. I flunked second grade. Um, uh, there's uh, four primary landscapes you talk about in your book on, on processing stuff. There's the internal, the social, external, and spiritual. Uh, tell us a little bit about those and how those play in to uh, uh, how you help people uh, deal with their issues. Mm-hmm. It really ties into, I mean, again, this is a lesson that comes from natural law, right? This law of interdependence. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that we, particularly in the West, um, have a habit of doing is compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to take that concept of compartmentalization that, again, people are, at least here in the West, relatively familiar with, mm-hmm. and structure the book in that way so that it was a little bit more uh, manageable or linear, just in terms of the way that people move through the book, you know, contextually or cerebrally. So, but I think about them as these concentric circles, the internal landscapes at the center, the social landscape, the external landscape, the spiritual landscape. The idea is the further we move outside of ourselves, the, the, the more kind of ethereal the realms become, mm-hmm. right? but also to suggest that at each one of those, within each one of those landscapes, at each one of those stops in the concentric rung, uh, circles or rungs, we have work to do, right? Mm-hmm. And we have responsibility to take as individuals in order to impact that specific landscape. So I think it's easy to draw the parallel, like you're responsible for what's happening in your internal landscape, but it becomes more and more abstract the further out we move, right? We're also, we have responsibilities in the social landscape and responsibilities to the external landscape, the natural, the physical world, as well as responsibilities to that spiritual landscape. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to structure that book in, or structure the book in that way to help people move through the text. But it's a big idea book, right? And it's it goes straight to the heart of matter. It's for deep thinkers and big feelers. And so it's really, it's not pulling any punches, right? I mean, in the introduction, we start talking about the sixth mass extinction because that's really what we're up against right now as a species. Oh, yeah. So, you know, here, here we are kind of starting at the 30,000 foot view, but then really trying to drill down into the tangible nitty gritty nuts and bolts of what can an individual do and how do mm-hmm. they do that work? There you go. Uh, you know, I, I like the, the, I think, paradigm, maybe it might be the right, but I like the paradigms you use for this because uh, you, it, it's kind of more an expansive view of the internal spirit of being, the internal, social, external, and spiritual. You're talking about landscapes, charting a path, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, and also recognizing that we're natural. We're part of a natural world because we do live in the universe, last time I checked. Uh, some people are living in their own private Idaho, but that's another story. Uh <laughs> 
Uh, I love that analogy. Um, so uh, how does this tie into, you know, what's going on in the world? I think, you know, there's there's a lot of skeptics of climate change and, and uh, our environment that's going on. I mean, I certainly don't think anyone can dispute or should be disputing that we do pollute a lot. We seem to be a growing species. We're now 8 billion people, I think, now. Uh, so we're growing very fast and rapidly fast. In fact, I think we hit the last billion faster than ever before um and uh you know you look at stuff we just went on in maui hawaii uh where the uh, they had the the mass burn down of the whole town uh and just something that happened overnight with little to no warning in fact within an, an hour or two um you know and we're seeing all these massive events we're seeing huge heat uh, things here. So, I mean, you can dispute, okay, well, maybe there isn't client change or whatever. I know there's people out there that are going to say that, but you, you can't dispute there's some really wild stuff going on with our environment right now. And I think we're starting to see, you know, some of the impact of what we've done with uh, on the planet. And how do you merge that between our, our spiritual selves or, or our natural selves and, and trying to take better care of the environment because, you know, it has an effect on us. We saw that with COVID. We saw that with, you know, the heat changes. It, it definitely has an impact of us. And probably, you know, the heat sometimes <laughs> affects your mental state lately. 100%. Yeah. Th this is really, it's a, it's a line that I wanted to walk but not cross in the book, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, there is a sentence in the book that's like, something to the effect of this book is not an attempt to convince you that climate change is real. Okay. Right? Um, this phrase like believing in science is one that I pick a bone with, but um, regardless of one's opinions, right. About climate change, about AI, about any of these potential existential threats, mm -hmm. the whole central narrative, the taproot of the book is that we can address all of these things Mm -hmm. individuals by doing one simple thing, which is self-actualization. Ah. Right. And so the idea is not, Hey, we need to necessarily rally together and, you know, all believe the same thing so that we can orient around a single movement or initiative, but rather we need to go inward and do mm -hmm. that internal work of self-discovery and awareness. So that then as we look outward, we can understand where we fit in terms of you know the giant puzzle of life and what skills we have to offer what passions we have to pursue and how we can kind of triangulate those things with who we are mm -hmm. right and so it's not a raw raw book about you know hey we need to rally the troops and address the climate crisis even though those are my personal opinions mm -hmm. um, i tried i worked really hard to keep those out of the book Mm -hmm. Because the idea is, again, if we can just focus on self-actualization, mm -hmm. that's the single linchpin that's going to be the cascading effect that's going to lead to, you know, change at scale. When more individuals do that internal work, then they can go out into the world and be more effective at creating the change they want to see. There you go. And this also connects back to the addiction recovery and sobriety piece, which is a big part of my healing journey was just spending time in nature. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first places, the first environments where I really felt included, right? Cause I could disappear into this landscape, this wilderness and the birds and the bees kind of forget about you. If you sit there long enough, quietly, mm -hmm. 
that was that first place where it's like, okay, this inclus this inclusivity piece is, it's not just real at a human to human level. It's real at an environmental level, right? Mm -hmm. We're not living on this planet. We're living in this planet. Oh. And so to take those things and to try and translate them into actionable to do's was really part of what I was trying to drive with the book because it's, I've been the person who's asked these big questions. What do we do about climate change? What do we do about social injustice? What do we do about X, Y, Z? And you just tie yourself up in knots thinking about where to start. Yeah. It's, it seems pretty big to try and tackle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that was beautifully said. I love what you put there. Uh, thanks to uh, Adam for calling in the show. Uh, thanks for uh, ringing in there, Adam. And uh, th glad you're enjoying the show. Um, so I like what you talk about. I, I recently started doing this thing where I go sit in my backyard uh, and there's beautiful trees and nature out there and I get to spend some time with my two huskies. But I started a thing where I, I went out and sit in the morning with my morning coffee and I, I and sometimes I'll take my shirt off and I'm just collecting my vitamin D and, I, and I'm trying to also reset my uh, my rhythms. What are those things called? Your Arcadia rhythms? Circadian rhythms. I want to call them Arcadia. Uh, I think it's a video game. Uh, but my circadian rhythms. And so I started doing this thing about a few months ago. And I'll go out and I'll sit on the bench in the sun in the morning. Uh, and my body really likes it. I don't know. You know, it could be psychosomatic. But uh, I go sit out there for 15, 20 minutes to try and soak up my vitamin D, my natural vitamin D. I go try and uh, get those circadian rhythms done. And I usually sit in peace and quiet, and I just kind of listen to the stillness of nature sometimes. Uh, a lot of times I'll read uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius or some other Stoic, Seneca, uh, and things like that. Um, and, and try and just kind of get into a, a calm state of mind before I begin my day. Uh, and kind of get a frame where I, I, I feel really in control before I greet all the emails and all the craziness and all the people yelling at me on, uh, you know, whatever, you know, they need and whatever I need and blah, 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 you know, you know how it is when you open that email and you're like, holy shit, you know, you kind of feel sometimes disempowered and, uh, you're chasing the emergency fires of the day. And so it kind of gives me that little time. And it's kind of interesting, uh, every now and then I, I maybe won't feel like going out or something's going on or something. And now when I go out in the sun, my body goes, hey, you need to go uh, sit out in the sun more and stuff. My body really likes it. And so I've kind of started trying to connect better with nature, I guess what I'm trying to say. And I, I'm feeling the vibe with it where there's a, there's a sense of peace and tranquility that I do get out there. I mean it's a bit obvious when you say it out loud, right? Yeah. Like we're natural beings. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. duh. But <laughs> to think about the level of naturalist naturalness to the lives that we lead sends us down a deep rabbit hole, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's no question that the technology that enables you and I to talk to one another digitally is amazing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, again, at least particularly here in the West, it seems like we've taken incremental steps to be, to, to move further and further away from nature connectedness. Mm -hmm. And from an evolutionarily evolutionary standpoint, all of our rhythms, you know, the circadian rhythm being one of them are directly tied to the natural world. Right. And, um, I'm going to forget the, you know, the nitty gritty science, cause I'm more of a systems thinker than I am a detail guy, but, um, Andrew Huberman's also got a great podcast science related talks about the importance of light, right. And the importance specifically of getting light early in the morning because it triggers a, a specific neurotransmitter mm -hmm. 
mm. that then sets your sleep clock for later in the day. Yeah. Right. And so we can stumble upon these things intuitively, like I did, wandering off into the woods because I just needed some alone time and some stillness, and then starting to uncover inclusivity and you know change being a constant and et cetera, et cetera. But we can also start to look at these things through a scientific lens, right? Which mm -hmm. is what are the effects that are happening in the body when we do X, Y, and Z, when we engage in nature in X, Y, Z. And uh, it's, it's one of the reasons that I spent some time in the field of nature-based therapeutics. There's a whole you know, body of scholarly work devoted to what's the impact of nature on our health and well-being. And you yeah. know, for people that are really science-minded, if there's you know, a sense of like this being a little bit too woo-woo, um, just go read the science, right? I mean, go yeah. read the data. It's the same with mindfulness-based practices. If, if that all seems a little bit too woo-woo, just go read the data. It's out there. Huh. Yeah, we, we come from nature, eh? Uh, you know, <laughs> nature and the universe. Uh, you know, last time I checked, I don't know, does anybody feel like they, I mean, unless you're an alien, you probably came from another planet, but there's still probably a nature on that planet you came from in the universe. Uh, so, so let's get a plug in here for your two websites. You have Revive You and I with the initials you and I, and then you have Still Point insight.com tell us about uh these websites the work that you're doing for individuals and companies etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah so revive you and i is really uh it's my own personal website right for the speaking and the teaching that's largely connected to personal and spiritual development and nature connectedness so if people are interested in you know having me on a podcast or bringing me out to a conference or an organization etc revive you and i is the place to go um, as i was moving through my own individual journey i realized that in order to have the impact that I felt I could have in the world, I needed to start working with organizations, specifically mm -hmm. organizations that are working at solving these big problems. Uh, because I've been a part of mission-driven organizations, and I know that burnout is real, and I know that organizational dysfunction leaves a lot of meat on the bone mm -hmm. when it comes to you know the impact that these organizations could have. So I took a lot of these lessons and I just applied them to organizational development, right? Took the personal development lessons and applied them to organizational development. That's still point insight. So we help mission-driven organizations uh, not only build culture, but also capacity mm -hmm. through a number of different initiatives, right? One is leadership advising, leadership strategy. Another is employee well-being and engagement. And then third is social and environmental impact. The there idea that we can move into these organizations and really, again, from the inside out, build robust, resilient systems, we can increase the positive impact of those organizations that's entirely separate it's not just me as an individual it's an organization um other people in it and so i felt like it it deserves its own website its own place to live on the interwebs there you go uh and uh the uh uh the, these are important factors so do you find that you talked about leadership do you find that uh getting people better connected to themselves to their nature and to nature their nature and to nature see what i did there uh, but uh, uh, basically uh, helps an organization run better, perform better, get better results? Absolutely. Right. I mean, again, um, I think there's a lot of, we tend to think of business as, you know, some of us tend to think of business as like a hard science, mm -hmm. right? Um, certain inputs create certain outputs and all the squishy stuff like organizational culture, employee well-being, uh, we don't really need it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not what the data says at all, right? Some of the most successful companies in the world are because they focus, leaders have focused on personal development 
and the organization at large has focused on organizational culture, workplace mm -hmm. well-being and satisfaction, right? We are, again, and this ties back to natural law, we're social beings, we're social creatures. Um, and though we, you know, depending on your belief system, maybe made in the eye of the divine, we also have the potential for flaw, right? And we're messy creatures, we're not perfect. And so putting those things in the context of an organization where we have a bunch of individuals trying to function as a singular organism, um, that can create roadblocks and challenges. So, <clears throat> you know, I also wanna put the caveat out here that when we use the term leaders, we're not just speaking specifically about people in positions of, you know, traditional hierarchical power positions, you know, the C-suite, the managers, et cetera. There's also leaders of culture, right? The people that actually make that workplace sticky because people like working with them, people enjoy spending time with them, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to move into, the, uh, move into these organizations and again, support them from the inside out. We do that through helping them build robust business processes, right? Mm -hmm. Resilient business processes, but also then providing foundational skills in employee well-being. Because mm -hmm. the idea is if we're healthier as individuals, we have greater capacity to affect greater change, right? So again, it's that same kind of in to out theory of change, but it's absolutely targeted on those specific levers or leverage points within the organization, which are largely people and process and purpose. There you go. Uh, and, and I imagine it makes quite a difference. Uh, give us some examples of some things you've seen where organizations are transformed with your work. From a business process standpoint, you know, kind of one of our flagships is that we work with the team. They were working 10 to 12 hour weeks, six to seven days a week, you know, essentially 70, 80 hours a week. We were able to help them maintain the same volume, sales volume, but do it in 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Right. So we essentially lopped off 40% of their working time just by changing their business processes. Wow. Of course, one can, you know, see the correlation that that would have also on quality of life and employee well being. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, moving into a space where what we would call that kind of purpose realm, right? Where people are not, they're excited to come to work because they believe in the mission of the organization, but they also understand how they fit into it. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we experience and see a lot with the organizations that we work with. Largely, they're growing organizations, right? And that kind of small to medium size or teams that are in that small to medium size range. And what I mean by that is like, you know, zero to 500, right? It's a huge, okay. huge spread. But as the organization grows, the business processes become more complex, typically. And it's easier then for people to not really understand how the, they fit into the greater cog of that wheel, right, of the organization. And so helping them identify what are the most important aspects of their job for business success but what are the most aspects of their job? What are the most important aspects of the job for their personal well-being? Those are two separate processes, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing what's going to make you um, a high performer at work is different than knowing what's going to bring value to your life out of doing that work. Mm -hmm. And so we really try and focus a lot of our uh, services there on that self-awareness component. And mm -hmm. we're also just trying to standardize the process, right? So we typically run a 10-week a module that comes in and delivers all of these essential skills. We call it our essentials program that focuses on process people and then eventually purpose to help them understand how they're part of that bigger change, right? And so we're often seeing increased workplace satisfaction, employee well-being and engagement numbers are always going up. Um, and 
ultimately, as that organization is just happier and healthier, then we can start to ask bigger questions. For example, what do we want the impact of this organization to be outside of the widgets that we make or the services that we sell, right? Like, could we do a, implement a volunteering or, you know, giving back type of program that allows us to move beyond the impact of our mission as an organization and move into a place that's um, more specifically service oriented? Mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, it, 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 the great thing about being a business is um, being able to give back if you're successful and contribute to the world in, in a much larger sense. And it, it teaches you a lot about gratitude and everything. And I like the concepts you deal with because I'm a big believer that we've kind of created this victim uh, based society, this victimhood mindset society, where it, it's almost, it's gotten to a point where it's victimhood competition on steroids, where everyone's trying to run around. And if you read the news or most personal news, it's, it always starts with, I'm a victim of this and, you know, whatever. And it, it, it's like people, there's some people running around trying to claim that they're bigger victims than other people. And, and I'm sure there, there are some that are, but it seems like, it's this badge people want to wear. And so getting back to self-actualization, self-awareness, self-reliance, self, um, self-accountability is my favorite word <laughs> the day of the years, <laughs> decades now. Uh, it's, it's a word that uh, I, I think we should tattoo on everybody. Self-accountability. That could be you. I was just reading, uh, I think it was some of Seneca that was talking about how uh, you should look in the mirror first. It could have been that or uh, Marcus Aurelius' meditations. But uh, when you accuse other people of stuff, realize you're probably a hypocrite and you should, you know, realize it's your thing. Uh, It looks like you really resonated with our good friend Adam for the show. Does he have any books? I'm soaking up this info. I think he came in a little late. So we posted a link to it and he's got it in his cart so thank you it's going to my cart for purchase now thank you adam we really appreciate your support of the show and our authors um so you're you're resonating with people they love the message and i love the analogy that you used of course as well in the end uh, when people buy your book read your uh, book and go through your services do you do individual coaching i guess too as well i don't typically do individual coaching okay. um, i don't want to say that i've outgrown it but it's just a matter of I'm really focused on having impact at scale mm-hmm. and it's hard to do that one-to-one. Yeah. Um, so I typically, you know, prefer to speak to groups. Um, if there's an individual that approaches me, oftentimes my answer is, Hey, if you can round up a handful of people, you know, a couple dozen people, a couple hundred people, uh, then let's talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also again, why we largely focus on the organizational aspect too, right? Because it's for good or for bad, a captive audience. There you go. Uh, so uh, what do you hope people come away with when they read the book? What do you hope that their uh, thoughts are? You know, I, I think this is actually a good segue to go back to your comments about the victim stuff and, and self-accountability, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think the roots of that cultural phenomena are, also, are connected directly to the Western paradigm of individualism. Mm. Right. Because if we perceive ourselves as separate from the rest of the world, then what that essentially means is that the world is happening to us. Life is happening to us. Ah. Right. As opposed to for us. And that separateness then creates a whole understanding about the way that we move through the world that impacts the way that we show up in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I could leave the readers, the listeners with one thing. It's this idea that 
you know, the book, the work, all of our work is trying to drive the individual to the paradoxical truth that focusing on self will bring them to the reality of non-self, right? And so this is a very like Eastern spiritual philosophy concept, but by non-self, I simply mean responsibility to the greater whole, mm -hmm. right? And by studying the internal landscape, we can understand what we have to offer the greater whole. And those things are not mutually exclusive. It's a two-way street. It's a Venn diagram, right? And we have a responsibility not only to ourselves, but we also have a responsibility to the commons. And so that's really what the book is trying to do, right? Is to guide the reader toward that, that inward journey into the soils of self. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, as we move through the different uh, sections of the book, get them to start thinking about how those things can be reflected outward. And it's the same thing with the organizations, right? Let's start high level, let's move down into the weeds, and then let's make our way back up or mm -hmm. out to think about what's that greater impact, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a, it's a tricky, messy, sticky process. <laughs> but to come back to your comments about self-accountability, it's important that we do that work. Definitely, definitely. And I, and I like how you give people the visual nature of, of earth and, and getting out of the weeds and, you know, all these different analogies that can help people kind of get through it. Because when people are like, hey, you got to change, you're like, uh, what does this look like? And, you know, ha having the imagery that you can associate with it uh, really helps make it work. So uh, what's the best way for individuals that are interested in working with you to reach out to you, et cetera, et cetera? Either one of those websites will get you to me. Um, if you want to reach me directly for, you know, podcasts or speaking engagements, Revive You and I is the place to go. Um, if you're looking specifically for consulting work, you know, if you're a business leader out there, Still Point Insight is the way to go. The reality is if you reach out to either one of them uh, and ask for me, you'll find me. And I'm doing, doing my best to get better in the social media realm. Um, it's typically not the best way to get a hold of me simply because, you know, I don't keep those apps on my phone and I, I do compartmentalize that aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so reaching out through the website is one of the best way to go. There you go. It's been wonderful to have you on, Ian. You made me rethink, uh, kind of how I deal with nature and I'll, I'll be thinking probably a lot of, of, of what we talked about here today when I go out and sit in my morning coffee and my vitamin D. I really recommend it for everybody. It's really a peaceful way to start the day and uh you know getting away from the beeps and blips and then when i come into my office i, I just kind of sit down i feel more in command of my life and i feel like i have i've centered it's kind of a weird thing but uh i have a centering frame with it and then when i you know light up my computers and stuff after sitting out in nature i i feel more in command of everything like i'm controlling how it's coming at me as opposed to just waking up and feeling like i'm dodging everything <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, if I could, if I could offer one final, uh, quote unquote, productivity hack, maybe it's a quality mm -hmm. of life hack. Um, don't start your day with email. <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst thing that you can possibly do, right? So yeah. if you if you have a morning routine, wonderful. If you don't have a morning routine, you know, it doesn't need to be super complex. But I think mm -hmm. what you're pointing out is the value of that centeredness, right? When you step yeah. into your day, that is the portion of your day that's outward facing the work that you're doing in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and to sit down at your desk at the first thing in the morning and open up your inbox, it's the worst thing that you can do because every single one of those emails is not only a different notification, but it's a different context switch. 
And that has a huge uh, load bearing capacity on the brain, right? So if you sit down and you're like, man, by 10 a.m., I just feel like my brain is a scrambled egg. It's because it is. It's because you've, you've context switched so many times in that first hour, right? Mm-hmm. So I always recommend to people, and this is some of the work that we do with organizations at, you know, at scale, getting them to think about this uh, laterally across departments, across teams. When you show up to work, what's the most important part of your job? What's that deep work that you should be doing? Focus on that first and eliminate the distractions. The emails can wait. There you go. Really, a fire to put out. They're not going to be sending an email. They're going to be either knocking on your door or giving you a phone call. Right. So, don't uh, don't mistake efficiency for effectiveness. Yeah, and whatever you do, don't turn on the news for Christ's sake when you wake up in the morning. I mean, the news is important, but save it for later when you're kind of in there. Uh, We you have a new fan, Adam Husky. Uh, Thanks for. Once again, he says it will definitely help with his mental journey. So we've helped one person today, and uh, I'm sure as the podcasts go out, it will help uh, thousands of people. Uh, Ian, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your deep insight today. Appreciate the opportunity, Chris. Thank you. There you go. And thanks for us for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, linkedin.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and uh, TikTok. We've got the new AI making the new tiktok formats it's kind of cool it puts us on top to bottom and and it, it cuts the show and we're trying to make sure it cuts all the funny parts of the show because i have some dumb jokes i tell during shows anyway guys thanks for tuning in be good to each other oh the tiktok is like chris foss one go see it or chris foss show podcast thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time there you go great show man i think you